which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruin. 1 John chapter 2, let me read it for you, starting in verse 7. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment. One which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. Past tense. On the other hand, suppose I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him, capital H, referring to Jesus, I think, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light, capital L, is already, already, key word, shining. Verse 9, the one who says he is in the light, capital L again, and yet hates his brother, is actually in the darkness until now. Verse 10, the one who loves his brother abides, resides, takes up residence, lives, tabernacles in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. The reason there's no cause for stumbling is because you can see everything clearly. You're not going to trip over anything. But the one who hates, verse 11, his brother is in the darkness and he walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John uses throughout this letter essentially three tests, as it were, to help you and I determine whether or not we're in the faith. Right? He gives us three litmus tests so that you can walk away from reading his letter and, and feel either assured that you are who you think you are in Christ, or the assurance you thought you had gets removed when you're done reading his letter and you walk out of here thinking, I don't know that I'm who I thought I was. And that's his goal. His goal is to give assurance to those who need assurance, those who are in the light. And his goal is to take away assurance from those who shouldn't have assurance. And really, that's the most loving thing he can do, right? I mean, he's not being, he's not being mean or evil or harsh. He, he very lovingly so as the last remaining apostle, wants to take away any false hope you might have if it's not based, if it's not founded on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so he gives essentially three ways you can determine, are you who you think you are in Christ? The first is a doctrinal test. He's essentially, in different places in the letter, he's going to say, hey, if you believe these things, that's a good indicator that you, you are who you think you are, that you agree with the message that we've been teaching. If you're, if you're starting to stray from the things we've been teaching and you believe this or you believe this, then listen, you're failing the doctrinal test because you're moving into error. And you'll remember that there were those in the church that he's writing to that were straying into error. And so he, he by giving this doctrinal test... Gives some assurance to those who are holding fast to the truth which he taught them from the beginning. The truth which Jesus passed to him. And he's taking assurance for some of those who are straying into other truths. Which are really no truths at all. So there's a doctrinal test throughout. There's also a moral test. We saw this very clearly last week. That he essentially says if you say you're walking with Jesus. You ought to walk the way he walks. You ought to act the way he acts. You ought to do the things that are similar to the one you say you are in with. Christ is in you. You're in Christ. You should start to look a little bit more like him. So morally, if your life takes a different path, guess what? Then you're starting to realize my assurance is lacking because I'm failing the moral test, as it were. And so he gives assurance and removes assurance through a moral test. 
He also gives throughout in different places, and, and it's where we are this morning, what you might call a social test, or specifically you could call it a love test. Not a love dare, but the love test. He's going to say if there's, if there's love, it's a good indicator that you're in Christ. And later on in the letter, he's going to say because God himself is love. And so if you're walking with him as a part of the moral test and you're passing that, then you'll also very specifically in regards to your morality, you're going to, you're going to see an outpouring of love. And so you're going, to, you're going to pass the social test. If you don't have love, he's going to say, for your brethren, then chances are assurance needs to be removed from you. You ought to have a big question mark by the end of the reading. All right. You see where he's going? Verse 7 and 8 describes essentially this social or love test, okay? If you want to break it down. Verses 9, 10, and 11, they're the case studies for the test. So here's, here's the love test, and then here's what it looks like if you play it out in real life. If you look at those who walk in light, and you look at those who walk in darkness, and you're going to see that, that light equates to love, and darkness equates to hate, He's going he's gonna to play it out in those verses as a case study, as you were, and we'll read those at the end, and we'll let them actually just, just fall where they may in your hearts and minds. First, you should be asking yourself the question as we were reading through verse 7 and 8 specifically, what is this commandment that he's talking about? Because he uses a little bit of confusing language. Maybe he's trying to be poetic. Maybe he's trying to, uh, to use some uh, argument uh, that will challenge in the debate against those false teachers who are straying, who later he's going to say uh, they, they, they were among us, but they left us, so they never were really part of us. Maybe he's engaged in this, this debate, and so he's using some language as a part of this debate with those false teachers. I think that's part of this. But, it, but nonetheless, it's a little bit confusing. But at the root of it, he talks about in verse 7, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but then on the other hand, verse 8, he says, I am writing to you a new commandment. And so that's confusing. We'll get to... What's old and what's new and why would he say it's not old and why would he say it's not new and, and vice versa. But before you even ask that question, you've got to ask, well, what's the commandment to begin with? Right. I think I think the specific of what the commandment is becomes clear by the end of even just this section. All right. It's it's love. The, the new commandment, the old commandment, whatever he wants to call the commandment, it's going to boil down to love. Right? That becomes clear as you get into the case studies. The one who says he walks in light and hates is in darkness. The one who loves his brother is in light. And so what's the commandment? The commandment is to love. Where does he get that? He gets it from Jesus, of course. John thirteen thirty four. A new commandment. Jesus used these words even. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And so Jesus uses that language of a new commandment, right? Uh, it becomes even more clear in John's second letter, 2 John 5. There he quotes the new commandment and says that it's not new. And now I beg you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning. And what is it specifically? That we love one another. Okay, so if you back into those verses, you understand as he's using this new and old language commandment, that what we're really talking about is that, that Jesus has said we're supposed to be loving one another. All right? More on that in a moment. Let's talk about this old and new word from John. Again, it can get confusing and it almost on the surface seems contradictory. Especially when Jesus would say, I have a new commandment for you. What does that mean? Let me give you a sense in which it means in the old and what it means in the new. All right? 
it's old in the sense that it is what they had heard from the beginning. All right? You tracking with me? It's nothing new. John isn't adding to. John isn't changing. John isn't adapting with the new issues of the day, the message. John isn't saying, well, maybe we were a little off there. or Maybe we didn't give you enough information back then when we originally preached the gospel to you. So let me clarify. Let me add to or adapt. None of that. John wants us to understand, look, it's, it's not new. It's not new. In fact, I'm not going to tell you anything different than I've already told you. So it's old in the sense that they have heard the same message from the beginning. He's not changing any of Jesus' words or Jesus' message, and his own message has not changed. It's also old in the sense that it's been part of the gospel expectation from the start. What do I mean by that? It isn't, namely, this this commandment to love one another. That isn't a new thing in the sense that it's something... Uh, second level in your Christianity. It's not a stage two in your Christianity. Like you have stage one, freshman year, you get converted. And then in your JV year or your senior year, you get bumped up uh, a level. You get to move up in the game a little bit. And now you get to really deal with things of loving one another. And so right here, we just want you as a, as a rookie, we just want you to worry about the conversion. And later on, we'll start to talk about in your upper discipleship years, we'll start working on this loving one another thing. No, it's, it's not a new thing, John would say, in the sense that it, it always was a part of your salvation from the very beginning. Now, let me, put it, let me put it another way. It comes with Christ. The, the commandment to love one another comes with your conversion. It's not added later on. So it's old in that sense. If, if you have Christ in you, then it... it it comes naturally that with Him, who is love, comes a requirement for love in your life. That's not new, and it's not, it's not a later on thing in your discipleship. Here's why that's important. It's important because John would have us, for the sake of assurance, to be able to look at our lives and say, okay, is there love coming out of my life? If so, then that's an indication that I'm in Christ. I am who I think I am. Right? He's not saying that if you begin to do loving things, then, then you earn Christ. He says that if you're in Christ, love naturally happens. You see the difference there? He's not saying that love, loving activity, loving deeds and things impress God to the degree that now He'll have a relationship with you. He's saying for those of us who have a relationship with God... Loving activity is a result, a natural result and a natural occurrence. So it's not, it's not new. It's, it's the message that I preached to you from the beginning. So it's old in that sense, but it's also old in the sense that, that if you have Christ, there should also therefore then be love. Naturally, because the one who is love is in you and you are in him. Okay? Um, How is it then new? Well, what does he mean when he switches it up on us in the next verse and says, on the other hand, I am writing to you a new commandment to you. One which is true in him, Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What does he mean when he says that it is a new commandment now, when he's made it very clear that it's not a new commandment? Notice, as I mentioned in the 
initial reading, the word already there in the last phrase. It's past tense. It's something that has already happened. And so I think that helps us to understand the thrust of this. Also in this verse, you get the word light thrown in. And that's a word that he's going to use throughout the letter to help us understand where our assurance comes from. It's a word that he'll use in in different ways, in different forms to help us move out of darkness into revelation, into understanding, into assurance. So that those who are remaining in his church right there can be confident. When there's a whole lot of strange teachings coming about, they can, they can stop and evaluate and, and be able to continue to walk in confidence. Okay? So notice that that, that that phrase comes in there. Actually, if you put up our sermon series slide there, Mike, uh, this is the reason for the image that we use. It's, it's because light is over and over and over a reference for John. So let me talk about in what senses this is a new commandment. It's new in the sense that it is new in Christ's coming. It's new in the sense that it's new at the coming of Jesus. Verse I read earlier, John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now let me stop there for just a second. When Jesus, all right, forget John for a second. When Jesus says this is a new commandment, is it completely new? No. Are we not commanded to love all the way back into Deuteronomy and Genesis? We are. We are. But it is new in the sense that at Jesus' coming, all that was in shadow throughout the Old Testament is now revealed with clarity. Because Jesus would be the fulfillment of all the things that were foreshadowed, of all the things that were told of, of all the things that were hoped for in the Old Testament. Jesus comes and he is the fulfillment of all those things. He makes all those things that are blurry clear. And so in that sense, at the coming of Jesus, there is a new sense of the commandment to love. In that, there is this new capacity for us. As we walk in Christ, as we walk under His grace and in His forgiveness, there's this new capacity for us to to be forgiven, to be loved, and therefore love much ourselves. All right? Let me give you another sense in which it is a new commandment. It's a a new commandment in the sense that it is showing up in you, kind of like the sunrise peaks through the clouds. I love sunrise and I love sunsets. It's funny, if if you look at a picture of the sunrise or the sunset, you really can't tell the difference, can you? Unless somebody tells you, you don't know if it's the sunrise or the sunset. What you find very often in the, most, in the most beautiful moments of the sunrise or the sunset is that beams of light become very, very clear and defined and they peek out behind clouds. John uses some of that language. Look at verse 8. On the other hand, I'm writing you a new commandment, which is true in him and in you. So it's, it's new in Jesus and it's, it's also new in you because the darkness is passing away. Think sunset, sunrise, and the true light is already shining. What we have in Jesus at his coming and now in this interim period where grace has been extended to the world, into a dark world, you have these beams of light. It was true in him, right? He is the light of the world. It's a capital L. He is the light. I don't think that's too much of a stretch. He brought light into the world. He, 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 he cast darkness away. And that was just the beginning of it because it would continue in us, the church. We are called to be what? Salt and 
light in the dark world. Now he is gone. He's at the right hand of the Father for a time while grace is extended to the rest of the world. And we are to be what in this world? Light. We're to be the light that he, that he started, that sunrise. We get to be like beams peeking through the darkness. And so it's a new commandment in the sense that it was new as Jesus came on the scene and he opened up, he opened up a door to the light like never before. And it's new in us in the sense that we get to continue to be the light in this dark world. Let me give you one more sense in which it's new. It's new in the sense that, that, you're, that, that you and I have become this new light in the world. And that's, that's what I just hinted to. One day, the Bible says there will be no more night and no more darkness. But that's not true just yet, is it? Right now, we're still in the time where the sun is still rising. We're still in the time where we are beams of hopefully very clear and defined and beautiful light peeking from behind dark clouds. Just as Jesus is the sunrise, we get to be those beams that spread out all over the earth, telling of his glory. And that's, what we're, that's what we're doing right now. And in a very real sense, that's a new thing that's happening. What is the, what is the beam of light in John's estimation that we are carrying out over the world. Within context, the beam of light that we have is, in a word, love. Our love for one another. Another question. Why, why does he even use this language? Why does he even, why does he even talk in these, uh, these codes, old, new, a little bit confusing? Let, let me give you a little hint as to why this is. You remember the context of his letter. You've got a, you've got a, a church that's growing and trying to uh, maintain its doctrinal integrity, trying to maintain its moral integrity, trying to maintain even its social integrity. And you've got some who've upsetted the apple cart by leaving and by saying, you know what, we've got more information than you do, in essence. We, we understand the gospel better than you do. And with our greater understanding has come more information and more clarity. And so we're varsity, you're JV, and so we're going to move we're going to move out and move on and we're going to, we're going to leave you to your, your trivial dealings down here. Specifically, they would, they would ignore some of the doctrinal things that John would, would come to challenge, like uh, that Jesus was both God and man. And they would say, well, I don't really think he was man because if he was man, then, then you have the whole flesh thing and sin and all that. And we really can't explain that. So let's just, let's just cut that whole part out because it's not easy to understand at least in our minds, and so we'll cut that part out. Also, because we morally want to be able to do with our bodies, the physical bodies, whatever we want to do in this world, and so we can go out here and, 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 and morally just degrade ourselves, but if we keep that separate from anything spiritual, then it's okay. And so doctrinally, morally, they were, they were going in a whole other direction, and, and John will challenge those things. But right here he, he says, you know, if you really get down to it, it is a matter of love. It is a matter of love. He's dealing with a group that is throwing the whole church off track. He's dealing with those that have said they found a better way, a higher way, a new way. They've added new information. And they're complicating, really they're complicating what in John's mind is very simple. So John will say, this isn't anything new. <laughs> Listen, church, calm down. It's not anything new. 
Uh, don't be tossed to and fro. Don't be carried astray by these new winds of doctrine, by these new flavors of the gospel that will come and go. Uh, don't, don't, be, don't be carried away. It, it, it's, it's nothing new, really. I've been telling you the same thing from the very beginning. Jesus didn't come with a, with a new message in the sense that it was, it was something that contradicted what was told in the Old Testament. It, it's all the same. There is no new commandment here. And so he gives great assurance there. He, he, he corrects. You know what he also does? And I, I like this about John. I, I think he kind of mocks these guys a little bit in his language. There's nothing new. Well, if you think, if you want something new here, I'll give you something new. It's new in this way. That you will shine like a light into this world of love. Oh, by the way, you're not doing that? Well, guess what? You who thought you wanted something new, you missed it altogether. You missed it. So in a sense, he mocks them. I think that's why he's using the language. And let me stop right here. Let me, let me preach a little bit of a sermon within a sermon. And we'll move to the end. Uh, I should say that we, as a, as a congregation, specifically Cornerstone, but as, a, but as a church as a whole around the world, we ought to guard against ourselves at this point. Let me explain. We ought to, we ought to guard against ourselves at this point. The calling of Christ upon his church really, really isn't that complicated at this point. And at the point where something becomes in the name of ministry, the thing that separates us from each other, we should take great caution. Let me say that again. At the point where something in the name of ministry begins to separate us, we ought, we ought and rightly so, step back and take great caution. Based on verses... Like today's verses. Let me say it a different way. And I think you can guess why I feel this way. There really is very little that matters more than loving relationships. <laughs> there really is very little that matters more than loving relationships in the body of Christ. In fact, in the body of Christ is really the only place true love, true loving relationships can actually happen. Your ideals, they're fine, but so long as they don't break loving relationships. Um, life is short. Amen? I think, I think we can in the name of ministry, in the name of um, even the kingdom, we can sometimes, this is possible, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe, we can become too ambitious. Sometimes we need a call back to simplicity. Sometimes we just make it all too complicated. When, when sometimes we need to be reminded of Jesus' answer when he, was, when he was asked on the spot, what is the greatest commandment? Hoping to catch him in some form or fashion off guard so that they might be able to 
convict him somehow. And he says, well, the, the greatest commandment is love the Lord God with all your, your heart. He quotes, quotes Old Testament, by the way. It's not a new commandment. <laughs> and then he adds to it, they got more than they bargained for. And the second is like it. Anybody remember what it is? Yeah. So it's all about love. It's all about relationships. At any point, even in the name of ministry, that we begin to, we begin to break that, we've got to take great caution. Why? Why is that? Well, let me, let me put it yet one other way. If the only thing that people can say about you, if the only thing that people can say about me, or if the only thing that people can say about Cornerstone Church as a whole is something to the effect of, you know, if I can't say anything else, I can say this. There's a, there's a whole lot of good, loving people in that place. If that's all anyone can say about this place or about me or about you, then amen. <laughs> then amen. And why, now, why can I just, why, why can I as the pastor just settle for that? Should I? Should you? I think you can. I think you can for two reasons. Number one, God says that love is the ultimate test. You remember the uh, passage we read now, I think twice. Let me give it to you a third time, John 13. It comes right after he washes the disciples' feet, which is an interesting, strange thing to do. And before he's betrayed and carried off to be crucified, Jesus says this to the disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, I've read that to you twice, but do you know what the next, you know what the next sentence is? By this, what is this? Your love for one another. People will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. I mean, it makes it abundantly clear. What, what's the ultimate test? It's your love for one another. Think of all the ways we try and market our, our faith. Think of all the ways we try and market our Christianity. Think of all the ways we try and market our love for Jesus and the gospel. Um, maybe growing up, maybe now you wear a cross to do that. Maybe, an, maybe it's an empty cross, maybe it's a crucifix, whatever it may be. Maybe you, maybe you market your Christianity, you've chosen to do it that way, that's fine. Maybe you, uh, maybe you do it on a t-shirt. I remember when I got saved in high school, I went down to the local Christian bookstore and bought me one of those Lord's Gym t-shirts, you know. I thought, that's cool. That's awesome. I'm going to wear it. Wore it in the locker room. Wore it around school. That's fine. Maybe you get, uh, maybe you get the little fish thing on your car. Maybe you get the little Calvin and Hobbes kneeling at the cross sticker on the back of your truck window can see that here in Jackson County. Maybe you got the WWJD bracelet that came out a few years ago. Maybe you got the frog bracelet that's come out a few years ago. I don't remember what that stands for, but it's something Christian. Maybe you get the little bracelet with the beads on it. You know, you got the red one, the green one, the blue one, the, you know, and then and somebody asks you, what are you, what are you wearing that little kitty bracelet? And you can tell, well, the red is this, and, the, and it takes you right through the gospel. Maybe, maybe you got that, and that's cool. That's good. And there are a dozen others, right? 
But God himself said that there's a way to market Christianity. God himself prescribed a way to market your faith, your testimony, and your part of expanding the kingdom of God. And he said that it would be the way you love one another. A guy named Francis Schaeffer. If you don't know that name, look it up. A guy named Francis Schaeffer, popular author and speaker, picked up on this. He wrote a large article about these verses of Scripture. He picked up on just how profound those words, that last phrase, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And he, he wrote this big article on it, and this is what he says. He says that love is the mark that Jesus gives to label a Christian. This is one he chose. Not just in one era, era or in one locality. I think that's awesome. I think that's huge. It transcends. Even if it's not cool anymore, like whatever bracelet or whatever t-shirt, you know. If you're still rocking the Lord's Gym t-shirt, it might be time to give it up. Okay? I'm just saying. But what Schaefer says is that, that, that the way God has prescribed us to market it has, no, it has no time limits. It's not a fad, as it were. You tracking with me? At all times and in all places until Jesus returns. This is one of the marks. This is what he gives us. Schaefer continues and says it as if Jesus turns to the world and says, I have something to say to you, world. On the basis of my authority, I give you a right. I give you a right. You may judge whether or not an individual, that's you and I, is in Christ on the basis of the love he shows to all Christians. Now, I've said this before. I'm glad I found it in Schaefer to back me up. When Jesus says this, he essentially looks at the world and he says, listen, your neighbors have the right to judge you. How about that? I give them, me, Jesus, I give them the right to look at you and say whether or not you're a fraud. And if they call you a fraud because they don't see love in you, then they have the authority in my name to do so. Conversely, what should happen is that they look at your life and they see as a part of your Christianity, this love for the brethren. And there'll be no cause for them to doubt who I am and why I'm to be glorified. He gives them that right. That's a scary thing. Uh, Jeff and I were at, we were at Outback the other night and uh, with the boys. And a um, waiter comes over, nice kid, college age, gets our drinks, comes back. We we're going to get ready to pray. Jeff gives him the, the uh, hey man, we're about to pray. Is there anything we can pray for you about line? You ever use that one? Good line. Use it. You can steal it. He gives him a line. And this kid, without thinking, I, I, I told Jeff later, I really don't think that he, I didn't get the feeling like that he was prepared for your question and that he, he had this, this line prepared. I think he was a sharp kid, actually. But he very quickly um, and very, very calmly said, no, I don't follow any, any religions. I think it took Jeff a little off guard. And so uh, Jeff let him off the hook and he left. We went to get you know, the rest of our stuff. And uh, um, 
I said to Jeff, you know, well, in my flesh, right? We didn't ask him to pray. We said we were going to pray. He just needs to tell us something and we'll pray, you know. But we didn't, we didn't say that. It was a good thing. Um, but then in my spirit, and I didn't say this to Jeff, I, I just asked myself, I wonder, I wonder why he says that. I wonder why, wonder, where does that come from? I mean, why would, somebody, why would somebody take that position? Why would somebody say, you know what, I don't follow any religion? And there's probably, there's probably a dozen different reasons, but, but here's the reason that I think the Spirit kind of gave me, and here's the reason I think most people, if I were to have followed up and asked this kid, why is that? I, I bet you, I bet you, it probably would have had something to do with his judgment over not just Christianity, but all religions in their capacity or in their ability to follow through on who they say they are. Namely, on how loving they would be as a people, as a whole. You think I'm right? I I bet I'm right. Put it another way, I bet he might have said, it's a fraud. And if I'd have said, well, why is it a fraud? Well, I don't believe it. Why don't you believe it? Because I don't see anything good coming of it. This religion of love that you talk about, I don't see love happening. And what is he saying? He doesn't see love in me. He doesn't see love in you. And so, therefore, I just ignore it all. To which, can we argue? We really can't. We really can't. Matthew 5. I'll turn real quick. You don't have to turn. If you want to, you can. Matthew five fourteen. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a broken basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Therefore, let your light shine before men. What do you think the light is? (laughs) It's the light of love. In such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The Father who is in heaven is depending on us to be His Beams of light down here into the darkness. It's our responsibility. So why, why can I say, back to my question, why can I say that if, if people have nothing else to say good about Cornerstone other than, you know what, I will, I'll give them this. There are, there are a bunch of loving men and women down there. Then I will just have to amen it and I feel good about doing it. It's because God says love is the ultimate test. And if we're on to that, we're on to something. Let me give you the second reason. Second reason is it is something taught by God. It's not even something I can teach you. First Thessalonians 4 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. I feel feel similar to the writer of Thessalonians. I, f- I feel similar towards you. In some sense, in in, in what I've seen out of you in that last Five months especially. I really, this is a message that I, that I really don't feel like you need me to preach to you. you. You've shown love. You've shown love in grand ways. And so I would amen that concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Why can I amen the fact that if somebody just says, you know what, I'll give them this. They sure are a loving group. 
then I can amen that is because what I know is that First Thessalonians 4 9 is true. If you are a loving group, what I can what I can infer from that is what the author inferred is this. You yourselves have been taught by God. And let me put it in reverse. If you're showing the evidence of love and you have been as a whole, you have been. I gain confidence in where we're going as a body because Scripture says that if love is there, we must be letting God teach us because He's the one that teaches us how to love. And so I amen that. If that's all they can say about us is we're a loving group, then amen because God is at work and you are letting Him work. So, case study is this. The one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. And does not know where he is going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You know, the purpose of Cornerstone, we haven't highlighted it in a long time. From time to time, we'll do a series of sermons on the purpose statement of Cornerstone, which is to make and mature disciples. It's in your bulletin. But it's to make and mature disciples who do something. Specifically, three things. They follow the Lord, they feed sheep, and they free the world. Now, we could have said that a hundred different ways. We wanted a way to package it. But what we were trying to essentially package in those three words, follow, feed, and free, are three relationships that we are called to be engaged in. And not only are they, are, are they the three relationships, but they are the three relationships in the correct order. So that if you are following the Lord, you will then in turn begin to feed sheep. And if you are feeding sheep, well, you will then in turn, based on the first two, engage in freeing the world. Put another way, if you are in a love relationship with God, then you will naturally begin. I didn't say this. Jesus did. Paul did. John did. If you are in a love relationship with God, you will naturally begin to be in love relationships with one another. It's not an add-on. It's just part of the package deal. If you are in love with God, if God is in you, then guess what? You will love the brethren. It just comes with it. And the natural overflow of those two things will be that you will love this, this, this world that is in darkness because you, you've been given light that you didn't have and there are those out there that still need to be exposed to the light because they're wandering around, bumping their, their, their foreheads in the darkness, trying to find answers, and you've got the light. And so I'll, I can amen. I can amen First John chapter 2. And I can amen that those that would say, you know what, this is, if nothing else, this is a loving place. Why? Because if we're loving each other, it must be true that, that you're, you're in love with the Lord. And He's teaching you. And if I can get you loving one another based on your love for God, then guess what will happen next? You'll begin to realize that there are those out there that are in need of what you are in need of. Because the Bible says as well that those who have been forgiven much, do what? They love much. I think they probably love God more. I think they probably love the body more. But I also think they probably love those who are still in darkness even more.
I don't know about you, but the more I think on the things that God has forgiven me of, the more humble I become and the more willing I become to take that light into the darkness because there's somebody out there that needs the grace that was extended to me. Let's pray. So Lord, maybe we have, uh, maybe we have the t-shirts. Maybe we have the bracelets. Maybe we have the uh, necklace, the sticker. Maybe we've got it all. And Lord, those things are fine. But this morning as we uh, prepare to depart, I would ask that you would you would make the one thing that, that you chose to put forth as the primary marketing tool of the body of Christ, the primary marketing tool of your glory, of your love, of your gospel. Lord, make that, make that our priority. Make it the banner that we wave. The banner of love for one another. Lord, we love because you first loved us. Lord, this, is, uh, this is just the tip of the iceberg, as it were, when it comes to love in Scripture. Everywhere we turn, you're unpacking for us what it means to love. The rest of the letter will we'll do even more. Lord, this morning, if nothing else, Lord, burn into our hearts and souls that the litmus test for whether or not we're a fraud and whether or not your gospel is true, the litmus test that you have handed over to this world is the way we love one another. And so, Lord, whatever, whatever might prohibit us from, from working that love out in this body of Christ, I, I ask that you would... Uh, you would squash it. I ask that you would that you would cover it over with your grace and with your mercy and with your love and with your forgiveness and with your patience and kindness. Lord, I pray that we would seek the the best for one another before we seek the best for us. Lord, if you give the world that right, Lord, I pray that you would use me and that you would use us to be great and powerful commercials in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs. So Lord, uh, teach us love for your glory and by your grace. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.